This is Journey with Care. We're in our series, Loving the Stranger Among Us. Well, welcome to Journey with Care. We're in our series, Loving the Stranger Among Us, and today we're diving into a topic that may make you think twice. Sometimes we can be pushing away people without even realizing, and today we're going to be talking about a very important topic about visible strangers and invisible strangers, and I've got the perfect guest with me today, Cheyenne Ann Turco. But before I introduce today's guest, let me tell you about my friend, Phil. So maybe you're a business owner or a nonprofit leader or navigating some really complex financial challenges. Well, I've got some good news for you. Well, Phil's the guy that you want on your side. He's just financially savvy and really committed to helping others. Uh, He was a former board member of Care Impact. So I know firsthand that he really understands organizations and really wants them to thrive. Phil and his team at MMP specialize in analyzing valuable data and improved governance structures. So if you need financial planning or business development, accounting, and of course, tax planning, you really want to talk to Phil. Phil loves connecting with new people and your privacy is always top priority. So if you have something on your mind, give him a call for a free over-the-phone consultation at 204-336-6151. And while you're at it, thank him for making this podcast series possible. So when you think of finance, think of Phil. All right, now let's get back into the conversation. Cheyenne and Turco, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Wendy. It's awesome to be here. We're in the series, Loving the Stranger Among Us, where we get curious about loving the stranger among us. And today we're going to focus on the visible and the invisible stranger. And when I was thinking about this topic, I thought, you know, my friend Cheyenne, I'm sure she has something very valuable for us to talk about right here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Cheyenne? Absolutely. So I am an artist mom, creating and writing out of presence. When I say creating out of presence, I specifically am talking about the presence of Jesus. So over a decade ago, I had a major life situation where I faced a burnout. It was a culmination of the challenges of immigration and acculturation and terrible winters that I was never (laughs) used to. And you were there when these things were happening. We were in the same church, right? I remember when you and your family arrived in Canada, we were very much part of the leadership of the church when you came. Yeah. And your first winter, that was tough. Sometimes we would drive you home after in the snow. It was yes, tough. And you were a, a huge part of my Canadian permanent residency journey, which was very uh, complicated, I would say, but you and your family opened the doors of your home to me and you helped me in that journey. I remember that. That journey, that time of difficulty, it was not just the physical environmental changes, but just the, the culture shock and also the emotional and spiritual, the psychological, emotional, spiritual cost of transplanting yourself and your family in a completely different culture, weather-wise, you know, language, everything, right? So that had a cost on me and I had to pay the piper. And it came three years after we met. In 2009, I faced a burnout and I felt I was like dying (laughs) and I needed to do a huge life change. 
And so I found myself, I got an invitation to go to a young adult's Sabbath retreat at St. Benedict's Monastery. It used to be in Manitoba, in West Manitoba. And uh, there they introduced me to the art of going really slow and being in stillness and silence. You know, I come from all this chaos of burnout when everything is raging for attention and it's desperate attention. And I come to this space of absolute stillness and quietness. I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit very clearly saying, I'm going to invite you to something different through rest and going slow. So in the silent wing, there was a in a very forgotten corner of the monastery was an art room. And I found myself in that space and I was stuck spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, and I was breaking down and weeping. And I picked up art stuff. And as I created, I began to hear myself addressed to as the beloved of Jesus. And I received in the next few days, it was a silent retreat for a few days. And it, silent retreats it shock your system, right? It shocks you from the chaos brings you into the reality of God's pace, which is way slower than ours. So, Shayani, you and your family, you came from Sri Lanka. How many years ago was that? That was about 17 years ago. Wow, has it been that long already? Wow, that's great. Um, And so we've known each other for that long then. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so your journey, which is beautiful that you met Christ, you met the Holy Spirit in those spaces. And art has been a very instrumental part of your life as a professional in art and also as a mom. And you have created this dreams in between spaces. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So it was at the silent retreat that I began to realize that I'm invited to a space of creativity and rest. And I was actually called to be an artist. And that kind of acknowledgement means I had to let go of the aspirations that a lot of immigrants come when they change their country of residence when they're over 20 or when they're adults. Because we come to Canada as adults, we make that choice because we want to improve our lives And becoming an artist, choosing to be an artist was absolutely counterintuitive. There was no way I was able to tell my parents that I'm going to be an artist, (laughs) right? But that's how I started because I could not separate that invitation to rest and creativity. I started to create and as I created, I began to create intuitively, And as I created, I found myself in between two realities, one in the spirit, one grounded in this humanity, this incarnational reality. What happened in that journey, as I painted more in the presence, was I began to be more present to myself. I always say that when we're in presence, we become aware of our presence. And that went full circle and it came to, well, if I'm like this, and the more I got to know myself, the more open I became to others. So I'm talking about a gut level 
ability to listen and being present to others. That's where the strangers come in. And I, I read on your website on the dreams in between spaces, you, you say here, listening and giving voice to oneself and others are the first acts of justice. That was powerful to read that. Can you tell me a bit more on that? You know, that commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart and then say, love others as you love yourself. I absolutely believe that most of us do not love ourselves. And if we do talk about loving ourselves, we think about spa dates and spa nights and things that are very superficial and doesn't go deep. So that thing about loving as you love yourself, as you listen to yourself, your capacity to listen to somebody who's different, who is outside of your experience, it expands. So there is this biblical truth that gets activated when you rest and also when you create. Because what happens is when you combine the two, when you rest and you create, when you create, your defenses go down. Most of us, when we are encountered with something that is absolutely outside of our comfort zone or different, not even something that rubs us the wrong way, but something that's completely out of our even thinking, we get defensive. We have these walls come up. We have filters come up. We have screens, positive and negative and neutral. They are natural things. We call them screens in communication theory. Everybody communicates through screens and filters. And these are natural things. That's how we make sense of our world. But when we create, our gods are not in an attack mode. You know, you've heard that meme, uh, read that meme or seen that meme where you say, listen not to make a response, but listen to hear somebody, right? That happens when you have practiced um, not being threatened <laughs> when you listen. Yeah. Throughout this series, Loving the Stranger Among Us, we've been talking about different ways we need to listen to each other. And also the whole idea of the love-based brain that allows us to reason, it allows us to listen, it allows us to connect with people. But when we operate out of fear, when we operate out of this inhibition, we're not actually allowed in our brain. They can't co-operate at the same time. Let's talk about visible strangers for a moment. We're going to get into the invisible as well. But visible strangers, when we talk about visible minorities in Canada, it's referred to technically as any persons other than Aboriginal people who are non-white in color. But I think for the purpose of this conversation here today, we could also expand this conversation to marginalized individuals in a crowd who are obviously different from the majority white culture. It could be like maybe somebody visibly in a wheelchair or somebody with a hijab, different religion from the majority predominant crowd. Um, maybe somebody visibly queer. I would also add as a woman leader among majority male structures. These are all visible differences that we can see. Oh, you're different. <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about your experience getting off that plane and living your last 17, 18 years here in Canada as technically that visible minority, what has that experience taught you? It took me 24 hours to go from being a majority in the majority in my own country 
and I wake up and I'm a minority. It took me 24 hours to have my world go upside down. I did not question my privilege. I did not question my entitlements. I did not question any of my existence, my identity. None of it was challenged or questioned when I was back in Sri Lanka to a certain extent, because even then in my country, I was still a person with a disability, an invisible disability. But that really made my life harder. But coming to Canada, I suddenly realized I am the foreigner, right? Like I am the foreigner. I have this story. I was working as an office assistant in this company and my colleagues were both white males. And I was just talking about foreigners, you know, and I was talking to them about white people as foreigners. And they stopped me (laughs) and said, oh my gosh, I'm the foreigner, right? Like that's like, oh, wow, right? You know, those were not difficult conversations, but it opened my eyes. I've had some friends and actually family members say, I didn't realize I was brown or I didn't even realize I was black until I came here. They made it evident, you know, that, oh, this is who I am. Yes, I think it's like you become aware, self-conscious, right? Like you become aware of your skin and it's not a comfortable thing. I have some friends who are white and I sit with them and I've, I'm very intentional with what I tell them, but I've told them that when I'm with you, I'm not aware of my skin. You see me so deeply. You see me, you hear me, you hear me. What makes you feel heard in those moments? What makes you feel seen and valued? What makes you feel safe in those moments? I feel heard when I have space to speak my story with all my accents and bad enunciation. (laughs) When I came to Canada, that was one of the biggest problems was that I didn't enunciate properly, right? And that's a matter of interpretation, though, too, right? Yes. What is proper? Proper, right? Like this is British training coming up, right? Proper. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. So there was always this standard, like even in Sri Lanka, because we had the post-colonial experience and the English was the language of like power, right? It was absolutely a language of power. So therefore, this idea of proper. How about in the church? How do you feel belonging or how do you feel that you've been othered in different ways? One of the biggest challenges I've had in connecting with people as a Christian, right, coming to Canada, already a Christian, was this, a sense I got of the unequal power balance, where Christians here would look at these other Christians as less than people who needed to be taught, whose Roots are heathen who have been saved by missionaries. You're talking about colonization. Yes. And also that missionary sort of, we are missionaries. We are the children of missionaries. You come from heathen cultures. We have deeper roots. Somehow there was an unequal balance there. It's... um. We know more than you because we come from a Christian country. 
So that was not taken into account the history of Jesus with all of us. The history of Jesus that has gone into not just one generation in my family, but two generations, where my grandmother, who was a Buddhist from a very ancient Buddhist family, she was boarded in a Catholic school, not against her will, but because her family had problems. She was boarded, they paid for her boarding, and she wasn't forced to convert. But on her 18th birthday, she sat in the chapel and she heard God call her and said, you are mine, you follow me. And she left her whole family and her heritage as a firstborn and all the status and the symbols and the rights, and she just turned. And before she died, she said, no matter what you do, do not forsake God. That is just absolutely beautiful. So the Holy Spirit was working in Sri Lanka, in your family. They met you there in your culture, in your context, long before you came and suffered through the snow of Winnipeg. Yeah. And I venture to say you probably don't want to feel like a project when you come here. No. What challenges me still is this sort of, we know better than you. We have deeper roots. We have an ancient history. But that's the whole thing that Paul talks to Timothy. Don't let anybody make, just because you're young in the faith, and we came, you know, the last shall be first. <laughs> right? That's why he said it, right? Like Because that history makes to nothing. Because, you know, he said to his people, you call yourself children of Abram, but I can produce children out of these rocks, right? So that history is good and it's commendable, but it, it doesn't give you credibility. It's that living walk right now with me that matters. And when they said, who is my neighbor? And he was referring to the, the good Samaritan as the example. He didn't use the Jew of the Jews as the, the poster child of good yeah. neighbors. He used the other, the marginalized, the one that they sort of felt they had more power over in society. He's like, this person served and do like them, which is quite powerful. We could talk a lot more on this, but I want to also cover the invisible stranger. We've dabbled in it a little bit, but when we talk about the invisible stranger, we're referring to the things that may not be obvious to note in a crowd. Those invisible differences, I can't know if I'm not in a trusting relationship with that person. They might even look like me. I might assume they are like me. They think like me. But there may be things under the surface that they're feeling estranged from me because of my actions or my attitudes or my assumptions that I'm making of people. So, Shayani, what are some things that might be invisible to most that estrange others? Um, mental illness is a, one of the big things. Um, yes. Poverty. Poverty is another thing. History of abuse and trauma, a huge thing. And I would like to particularly say postpartum depression. And I would like to say miscarriage. Those are invisible. You don't wear the scars. And I'd like to talk about a little bit about miscarriage, in the, especially in the church context. There is this celebration on Mother's Day. And there is this mothers and motherhood. And I have had a miscarriage. And it's the emptiness of not holding your baby, right? Yet knowing that you are a mother. 
And you you feel othered in those moments. Yes, absolutely. Because you have nothing to show. And this uh, expectation of proving yourself as fruitful, where you don't have to prove yourself, it will show, right? It is not something you go around proving. I also know of individuals who cannot feel safe in a church, for example, because of their past, they've had an abortion. And yes, we love life. However, when there's an anti-abortion rhetoric happening and that is bad, will they come forward as being embraced unashamed before Christ to the body of Christ? It's very difficult. They feel like they cannot come and belong in a crowd that does not embrace it. And I'm not saying we have to agree with it, but can we Mm -hmm. create friendships? Can we be good neighbors to people who have trauma, who are same-sex attracted or queer in different ways, and they're struggling through some things. And yet, if we have this anti-rhetoric, we have instantly shut off those relationships. It's no longer safe. No matter what we believe or what background we come from, it's not about all being cookie cutter Sri Lankan or cookie cutter white so that we can create belonging. It's actually what you said earlier, listening to ourselves, understanding who we are, and also listening to the other, being able to embrace the other person made in the image of God. And that's what I think that rest and creativity does it. It nurtures your heart to hear your own cry, which is absolutely vital so that you can hear another person's heart behind a particular rhetoric. One of the foundational principles of Western culture is rhetoric speech, debate. These are the values of Western culture. And I'd go back to Greek culture from which Western culture came directly influenced. I think in the second letter of Timothy, Paul says, don't get into unnecessary debates. Don't get into these debates. So there is this almost anti-Greek value theme. If you have eyes to see, you would see that rather than understanding Christianity from a very Greek, Western, Eurocentric perspective, because Christianity is not white. It is not Western. It has gone through these channels. We thank God that it went through channels, through our cultures, but it is not founded on these cultures. We are coming from a very Middle Eastern culture. Our values are, and Jewish culture is not about debating. They choose story. They choose listening. They have this thing called sitting Shiva, which is, I talk about it in my podcast. It's about sitting with somebody who is grieving. And the practice is you do not speak. And when I had my miscarriage, I had in the spirit, I saw Jesus in my imagination, in my restored imagination. I saw him just coming and sitting with me. He said nothing to me. There was silence. There was honor in silence. But to sit in silence, you have to have peace within. And I think that's what rest and creativity give. It mitigates the fear. It makes a way through the fear. And that's what I've discovered as an artist mom, creating in the presence. And it's just seeing the Jewish roots of our heritage. And understanding it's way beyond the things we say. 
And I wonder, based on what you just said here, if we can truly see the person in front of us, if we aren't able to sit in silence without the rhetoric, if we can just be present with people. There's so many examples of Jesus being present with people, allowing that alabaster jar to be broken and the perfume to be poured out, being with that person with leprosy, sitting with that woman at the well, being present to see the person. I think that because creativity mitigates a lot of fear, we can allow Jesus in us to come out more than our fear, than our prejudice, than our ingrained cultural biases. These are natural to me as someone born in Sri Lanka and someone who is a Canadian. Now, I do have biases. I have prejudices. I was ingrained. I was raised with them. And when you rest and you create, I have seen, Wendy, people with different walks of life. I had a group of people from the United Church. They invited me to do an art workshop. And I did an intuitive art workshop where I taught them how to rest in the presence. And, you know, I'm not a person who has walked or will walk in the United Way theologies or whatever. But because they had art shows and they're open and I went in and I'm like, I'm curious too. I'm here for the art. I want to see what you're doing, right? But there were so many people from different walks of life, LGBTQ, different races and different experiences and ages and able-bodied and non-able-bodied. And I did this workshop. And as we created out of what was most salient to us, we became less self-conscious about the things that rile us right up. We began to listen instead. This chaotic, crazy, hamster wheel drive of always, what's my neighbor doing? Who's saying what? What are they thinking about me? And it's all this outward gaze. We started to look inward, right? And we quieted ourselves down. And as we quieted and created and became, and we gave ourselves permission and grace to create, those differences, they didn't disappear. They were suspended. And I think my definition when I do intuitive art is allow yourself to be present to grace. And I define grace as the suspension of judgment, even for a brief period. Allow yourself to be angry. And if that is salient to you, let's paint that. So this tenderness towards yourself, absolutely, it's not selfish. It's a commandment. It's not this hedonistic, self-gratification-focused self-love. That is not what we are talking about. But this kindness, love is kind. And when I can be myself and sit with myself and be present with Jesus, with myself, my whole self, the things I'm proud of, the things I'm angry about, the things that I am confused about, but when I can fully be present and be in the presence of Christ with that, I feel like there's just an ease in allowing other people to be themselves. There's a sense of safety when we all do our inner work rather than making, oh, they they think different than me or they behave different than me. Therefore, I don't know if we can sit at, could we all just sit at the table? Yes. In our differences, could we sit at the table with our differences and can Jesus be at the head of this table? 
Yes, because when you are in that space of safety, creativity and rest and you give yourself permission to be you. Maybe you have never had the permission to express your anger at something that happened to you. Maybe for myself it was like the anger I felt being othered in a church when I couldn't produce a baby to, in full term. And I allow myself to feel that what I receive in the presence of Christ is incredible love. Love changes the playing field. Mm. And again, there is this kind of love. Oh, we, we know that, right? Like that's the thing I'm talking about, harking back to what I said, like this culture, this Western Christianity is self-assured in its knowledge. Oh, we know Christ. To know about Christ and to know Christ are totally different things. So when I came to Canada, one of the biggest challenges I had in the church was I was talking about my lived daily testimony and encounter and of hearing him and my testimony, my everyday testimony. And they were talking about 20 years ago, this is how I met Jesus. And then somehow you met Jesus, you talk about in Galatians, you started in the spirit, then, you know, stay in the spirit. But somehow it became that love, that honeymoon, that love just got, it waned and rhetoric stepped in, theology stepped in, laws stepped in. Oh, this is how we think as if we are Christians. Oh, this is what we can love and we cannot love, right? Like I'm not saying one way or the other, but we put in rules and behaviors and proper ways of being instead of being. Yeah. At Care Impact, we have an academy that trains churches in trauma-informed care. And one of the principles there is looking beyond the behavior, looking beyond what you see in front of you. You might have an assumption of what is going on. I've been told, for example, I have some neurodiversity in, in some of my kids. And I've been told when they were little that, oh, they, this is a sin issue. When there was clearly diagnosed things, I'm not excusing every child needs to be nurtured and raised up. But honestly, they were othered in that case and they don't want to step foot in a church. It grieves my heart. And I don't think any volunteer or pastor meant anything by it. They were wanting the best for my children, but they certainly knew that they were not welcome as neurodiverse children who had issues with the sensory needs that they were asking for <laughs> to be met. I think Kierkegaard said this. Intentions, everybody can have them. But having intentions doesn't mean that you know Christ. Good intentions. There's a saying, right? Kierkegaard also said that. Good intentions, anybody can have that. It's, it's not that what matters. It's the life you live and being present, right? Being present to your pain, being present to Christ's love for you in that pain. You know, he said, if you forgive, you can forgive. If you would receive love, you can love. But how can you receive love when you're not coming to the table to sit at the table with Jesus who doesn't want to talk about your church? He wants to talk about you. He wants to talk about your pain. He wants to talk about the abuse you went through. And he wants to tell you that he was there with you. And how can you be present to the trauma of othering and the marginalization when you have marginalized your own heart and you won't give space for it? Last year... I lost a friend. It shattered me. 
And the Lord told me, you need therapy, you need trauma counseling because your pain is getting in the way of you seeing and hearing me. And you have to get through everything that is hurting you because you need to know my love because you can't hear my love right now. Yeah, that's so good. This has been a lovely conversation. I know we have to wrap up pretty soon here. But what advice would you give our Journey with Care listeners in how we can love others well, like the visible and the invisible strangers among us? How can we love well? Slow down. Rest. Isaiah 30, 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. That changed my life uh, over a decade ago. Slow down, encounter, and he will teach you what's on your heart and he will make you soft for your neighbor so that they will not be conscious of the color of their skin or their marginalization in your presence. Because when you're with Jesus, you are not conscious of your brokenness. You're only conscious of how loved you are. And as the church, we have that gift in us, but we need to tap into it. It's not about theology. We are well steeped in theology. It's not giving us salvation. What is giving us salvation is rest and repentance. Slow down and create. Well, thank you, Shiny, for coming and spending this time with this beautiful conversation as always. And thank you for sharing your heart. How can people follow you? I'm on Instagram and um, my social handle is dreams in between spaces art. I'm also on Pinterest and Facebook. So if you want, you can follow those links. All right. Let's keep loving the stranger among us. Thank you for joining another conversation on Journey with Care. We're here to inspire curious Canadians on their path of faith and living life with purpose in community. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church to journey well in community. Visit our website at journeywithcare.ca to connect with Care Impact, find the latest updates on our weekly episodes, details about our upcoming events, meetups, and information about our incredible guests. You can also leave us a voice message, share your thoughts, and connect with like-minded individuals who are on their own journeys of faith and purpose. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Together we can explore ways to journey in a good way. And always remember to stay curious.